Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. In the sacred text left behind by Mary Magdalene, the word God was replaced by the good. Mama, I saw snowdrops yesterday. They were revealed when the snow melted, blooming on ice. I almost genuflected in the mud. Mama, I've seen birds bathing in the stream as the woods thawed and the juncos were passing through. I've seen fog and rain and the leaves falling one by one for weeks until only a handful hung on for winter. I've seen deer wandering through the forest and a fox slinking through the snow. Mama, now I know the pulsing of the land alive even in winter. I can feel the creek's current in my fingertips as it passes. I've drawn the sun into my chest and danced as if you've never left. I've wet the forest floor with tears for everything we did and did not say. Mama, I've never danced so much. I've shown up in the forest and loved you, the world, the sky, the good, even when nothing felt good and I wanted to join you somewhere beneath the earth. Mama, I've seen the good. Mama, I've seen the good. Hello and welcome to this episode of That's What She Said. That was Progress Report. One of the poems from the last few weeks. And uh, I know this is a podcast, but I really feel like I said it all in the poem. (laughs) I felt the need to talk to you today. So I am out and about. I am in Chestnut Hill, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, United States, North America, Earth. That's where I am. And um, I realized that... There's, there have been phases in my business when I've been quiet. Uh, it's usually on purpose, <laughs> like a, a planned pause. And uh, there was a complete quiet that's happened um, in the past year. So it's been a year since my mom died. And uh, we weren't 
that close. So I didn't expect it to hit the way it did. We'll say it that way. And it's been a road. (laughs) To put it lightly. But what happened was I remembered this thing that uh, Elizabeth Gilbert said once. She said that someone she loved died and that every day she wanted to have a dance battle with grief and win. And that struck me as like beautiful and simple and impossible at the same time. Um, Dancing with grief is one thing. Having a dance battle with grief and winning is another. (laughs) So I began to get the sense that that was something I should try, I should do. And I've been going to the forest every day for a year. And there were these four songs that I made into a set. And I danced them over and over and over and over and over again. And about six months in, I started adding other songs. About nine months in, I let myself not dance to those four songs. I could dance to other songs. And then very recently, I can just dance to whatever I want as long as I go to the forest. Those are kind of my rules that I made for myself. I wanted to do this differently than I've done everything else. I didn't want to take classes about grief. I wanted to feel my grief. I didn't want to become an expert in reading about grief or researching grief. I wanted to feel my grief. I didn't want to intellectualize it. I wanted to move through it. And it was brutal. And losing mom was just the beginning of the things that I've lost in the past year. It's been (laughs) just brutal, just brutal in every every way that it's possible for life to be brutal, like death, cancer, loss, failure, uh, loneliness, detachment, the void. Yeah, I've been to all of that in the last year. It's been like um, like a museum of everywhere that you do not want to go as a human. <laughs> it's, and I'm laughing because it, it's like in retrospect, like when you survive a thing. It's not because it's funny. It's because like you're like, fuck, I survived that thing. It's kind of where I am. And I put it all down. And the thing I decided to do differently this time in this phase of like everything is hard and it fucking sucks was to not attack myself. That's it. That's the big difference. It makes all the difference in the world. That at some level, the thing I internalized most deeply about anything that's going on in the world around me, near me, in my immediate vicinity, is that I did something wrong. If everything in the world is not going perfectly, I did something wrong. If everything in the room is not going perfectly... I did something wrong. If everything, like it, it's both incredibly ego-based, like I did something wrong and that affects everyone in the whole fucking world. And it's incredibly without ego because like 
obviously I didn't, but somehow that's where my brain goes. And that, my friends, is conditioning. (laughs) That was placed there on purpose. Um, By my mom, who was good girl conditioning me because she was good girl conditioned. And before that, there was additional conditioning that her... um, We can trace it back. It is a solid... Polish lineage of good girl that comes straight from the Roman Catholic Church. And the things that I've lost are tremendous and painful and brutal. And God bless Bear for sticking with me because it all deeply, deeply, deeply fell apart in ways that I didn't see coming, which I guess is like any major life event that you didn't cause and you didn't choose. Um, like let's hypothetically, for example, like your mom dies and your dad has cancer. It's even for me, even for like good girl from birth conditioning, even I can't be like, that's all my fault. And it's all me. Like I, I, like It's not rational or reasonable. So the conditioning couldn't get me. I found a place where the conditioning couldn't get me. Because in my career, the conditioning can get me. Just try harder. Just be better. Just be best. Just do more. Just hustle. Just connect. Like all, like you endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. What happens in my business is my fault. That may or may not be true, but it's easy to assign blame in that category, right? Does that make sense? And then over here, we have mom dying, dad cancer. I'm like, I didn't do that. And the gift of I didn't do that is significant in my life because I can't blame myself or anyone else for this falling apart that's happening. This isn't if you had just chosen a corporate job. (laughs) Do you hear? Uh, if you had just used your degree, if you had just gotten a master's, if you had just gotten a PhD, if you just had three jobs, if you, there's nothing I could say or do. There's no action I could have taken, have taken or will ever take that will change your mom died. And oddly, that gave me some real perspective on maybe it's not all my fault. Now, I understand that in a lot of ways I teach it's not your fault. And in a lot of ways I teach this is how we handle things when it's not your fault. And this is the lay of the land and this is how we maneuver through the land. But I'm not talking about surface or even conscious level belief. I'm talking about subconscious. I'm talking about place there before I could read, write, or think in any real capacity. So we're talking about like pre-age four. What did I internalize? I don't remember a goddamn thing. Uh, but it's clearly linked to this is all your fault. Clearly there's something in there about that. And then the good girl conditioning is also linked to, uh, I took it in really, really well and completely. And so what you get at the very base of that is just be perfect in order to be loved. That a person can be uh, expressing love for you. I love you. I adore you. You're the greatest. You're the best. That's a thing that gets said. And then also there's this like biting, cutting, horrific criticism that is quote unquote constructive, quote unquote, just looking out for you, quote unquote, just trying to take care of you. Um, It's this really insidious, like 
well, I love you. I'm just telling you that you need to wear lipstick and put on makeup before you go outside because you look like shit. It's, it's love. That's like you say, it's, <laughs> it's like when people say no offense, no offense, but, and then they just say terrible things, just fucking terrible. Like if you say no offense in front of it, you can say whatever you want. We've somehow made that a thing in good girl conditioning from mom to child. As I experienced, it's, I love you. I love you and, and then just horrible shit, just horrible. So this sense that I'm getting, and this is a deep, deep sense that's coming in over the last two years. And then it's sort of gone, come into focus in the last year. So this is not a podcast episode about the past week or month. This is a solid year. What comes into focus is what if you don't have to be perfect to be loved? Okay. That may not seem revolutionary to you. That may be like the most basic thing ever. That may be like, oh my God, get a therapist, get a better therapist, Kristen. And also I am not talking about conscious belief. I'm talking about the subconscious, unconscious, unconscious, pre-verbal things that I internalized that could not safely come to the surface before my mom had died. And now they have. You have to be perfect in order to be loved. Basically guarantees that A, I'm not perfect, so I'm never going to be loved. And B, it ensures that I will try with all of my heart and soul for all of time to be loved in this very specific way. So then, this is interesting. Here's the thing that scares me to talk about. It's not death, dying, the abyss, the void, grief, crying. (laughs) It's not that at all. It's actually this. Here's the fascinating thing. And I apologize for my various bodily noises as I'm like sort of half half tiered uh, at some of this. Um, One of the things I did for myself, it was really, really beautiful and you can do it too. And it's free. Here we go. Is to find a list of books that I would like to read to just keep a list of books. And when it gets to about 30 to place them in my library calendar and to place orders for them week on week on week. So I can place requests in advance. So my next 20 weeks There are books arriving every week, every other week, nonfiction, fiction, poetry. It's whatever, whatever feels right at the time. And I did that for myself months and months and months ago. So here's what happens. I get this book called The Immortality Key. Now, The Immortality Key is very thick and very dense. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, Jesus, that's going to be a struggle. It was one of, you know, when you look at a nonfiction book and you're just like, it's going to be tough, but it was not tough because here's what it was about. A man, a beautiful, beautiful man named Brian is a lawyer in DC. He's a Catholic. I happen to have a history of being Catholic and he gets obsessed, obsessed with this idea that there's something we're missing about the earliest Christianity there's something about like scientists have this sort of pagan continuation theory where there were all these festivals and rituals that pagans had and then the Christians came in and what they couldn't um, obliviate is that a word? Is that a Harry Potter word? Obliterate. There we go. Uh, They simply sort of patched over with their own versions of the same thing. 
Like it's not it's not a coincidence that the winter solstice and Christmas are around the same time of year. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Um, but he didn't get obsessed in that way where he just Googled things on the internet. He got obsessed in that way where he spent 14 years researching this book. He got obsessed in that way where he went to the Vatican and he got access to the secret archives and he made friends with priests and he made friends with Vatican curators and he was very vague about what he was researching in order to have the deepest, fullest access to Vatican archives. And what he found, without too much of a shadow of a doubt, he's probably more doubtful about his own work than I am, was that the two things that caused the early church, and we're talking early church like from its inception of Christianity, and then we're talking early church like the places that Christianity was stepping in the, in the shoes of other religion. There's this lineage that goes back thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and it comes down to women and drugs. What I mean by that is, imagine the Eucharist not as a piece of cardboard and a sip of grape juice or wine. Imagine the Eucharist as a psychoactive substance mixed by women specifically trained in that beautiful, glorious rite. Imagine that the Eucharist is psychedelic. Imagine that the, the, the mysteries, the Elysian mysteries are psychedelic. Imagine that thousands of years of messing with the natural world and playing with nightshades and cannabis and wheat rot and mushrooms and peyote and, 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 and imagine that every part of the world thousands of years ago was deeply connected to the natural world in a way that we with our concrete cannot even begin to fathom. Imagine that you're connected to the all that is. And then imagine that there comes along a rite or a ritual that allows you to be even more connected to the all that is. Imagine that the church is a forest. Imagine that the place of worship is a riverside. Imagine that the place of deepest connection is an ocean or a lake or a tree. Imagine that the understanding of the world as you know it changes every time you take part in this ritual. It deepens your connection to everything, everywhere. Imagine that one of the places that that ritual took place was in the catacombs beneath the Vatican itself. Imagine that there was a Greek god named Dionysus that got a straight Greek copy and paste treatment. Story after story, we just delete Jesus, delete Dionysus, put in Jesus, and the stories are the same in Greek in the Gospel of John. Imagine that there are women dedicated to handling and mixing these brews, to communing with the divine, and to ensuring that everyone has a safe, 
gorgeous experience of the all that is. That's the immortality key. That's this book. It's fucking fantastic. Go read it. It's magnificent. And then imagine that in the year 396 AD, oh, you knew this was coming. That's all put to a stop. Now, there are people throughout the years who have fought this and imagine that that stifling of that initial life-giving impulse is what we have now. That from the year 396 until 2024, the Christian religion as we know it is a faded, faded relic of what it used to be what it used to represent and what it used to do in people. Because what is more devastating to a power structure that needs your money, your support, and your fear than women and drugs? And why would you have to pay to build a basilica that's nine stories high and that costs everything that a town or, or county has when you could just as easily commune in the woods. Why would you want them to have something for free that you could get their money for? Why would you want them to have some experience of life that is beautiful and gorgeous when you could get them afraid? Why would you want them to experience life on this earth as beautiful and pleasurable when you could teach them about sin and convince them to work for hell or to avoid hell? Why would you let them enjoy the all that is the non-binary, curvy, weird, strange, beautiful, paradoxical nature of life itself when you could just say, this is right, and this is wrong. So yeah, I've lost my mom. And I've also regained my faith. My faith was never, ever going to be able to stop with the Roman Catholic Church. Frankly, I love an Italian man with all of my soul. There is it as Italian as they get and fuck all of the church creature men in the Roman Catholic Church in 396 AD who cut off this beautiful, gorgeous, exquisite life-giving experience of being connected to the all that is for all of us so that we are stuck with this shitty patriarchal cardboard cutout version of what we could be experiencing. So what I'm left with is the beauty Oh, the beauty of being a heretic. The beauty of like, oh, please excommunicate me. I wish you would. (laughs) The beauty of over the course of a year. Oh, this is so tender. Over the course of a year, every day I would go to the forest. And for the first six months, 
uh, I would, the forest is about two blocks from my house. It's a public park. I don't own it. So I never took anything. I never brought anything. It's a completely, uh, my presence is the only indicator that it's happening. Sort of a thing that happens every day. And for the first six months, I would dance in this really sort of tight way. Like, no one look at me. No one look at me. No one look at me. And I would think when I privately to no one ever, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me that when I go to the forest and I dance, I feel more connected to everything than I do at any other point in the day? Why can't I feel as connected to life all the time as I do when I'm in the forest? What is wrong with me? And I kept dancing. And so over the course of the next year, and in the particular in the last few weeks, it was like, oh, going to the forest is what is right with me. There is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with me. 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 Okay, that's a song that we all need to sing. As women, first of all, there's nothing, there is nothing wrong with me. You just make your own variation on there is nothing wrong with me. Get out your guitars, your saxophones, whatever it takes. There's nothing fucking wrong with you. What is right with me was that I learned day by day by day, raindrop by star, by cloud, by fog, by snow, day by day, I learned that I belong to this earth. And that no matter what the fuck is going on in the world of news, the birds, by and large, will not care. There will be birds. There will be trees. There will be wind. There will be sky. There will be a creek. There will be stones. There will be flowers. And there's a sense of being able to rest in that this is here. This is here. Some days I think it's too good. Like the whole forest might just disappear because it's too good to be true. That's how deeply disconnected I existed from the natural world and the all that is. And then I thought, why? Why would the church have disconnected me from this? Why would they have taken me from this place where I can feel connected to everything just sort of like sinking into beauty. Why would they take this and say that only exists in these particular buildings at these particular times in these particular rooms that are policed by these particular men? Why would they do that? Because power. Because power. Because power. There is not a religious organization on this earth that is not a consolidation of male power. And they might be doing new things. They might be having new programs. They might be changing their ways. They might be coming up with new things. Do you, do you hear my like jazz hands? We are different. We are new. No. No. It's patriarchy, 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 patriarchy. I've studied the world's religions. I really have. With great and open arms and heart, and soul, and it's patriarchy. Yep, it's just patriarchy. Yep, 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 yep. And what's available to us that we don't even know, what's available that I couldn't have known existed two blocks from my house, 
what's available to us is being a part of the land, the earth, the cycles and seasons of life itself. A feeling that deep flame of life rising up within us and enjoying it. There's nothing wrong with you when you enjoy it. When you dance the fuck out of it. When it's hard, when it's bad, when it's beautiful, when it's joyful, when it's lovely, when it is pain itself, you go to the forest and you keep dancing and what you find is life. What you find is what they've been trying to keep from us this whole time. What they find is just try harder, just pray harder, just try harder, just pray harder. It's not there. It's not in that room. It's everywhere. And it's free and it's available and it does not require the submission of your soul or even a single strand of hair. So that's what I've found. Ah, it's good to be a heretic. It really is. So then, of course, the, the, the witch hunts and all that good shit in the 1400s just come from, we can't let this get out. We can't let the things that these women know how to do, the things that they can make happen, the rituals that they can enact, the, the beauty that they can bring, the non-hierarchical, non-patriarchal way that they're going about the world. We can't let this fucking happen. And so witch trials. And so burning at the stake. And so great fear. And so, and so, and so. We know how that story goes. Here's the other thing that's happened um, that's really fascinating. Over the course of the last two years, almost to the day, I have taken to studying power in a really, really, really targeted, dedicated, focused way. I am tired of being powerless. I want to be good at power. So I've been studying it. And I've gotten more powerful Generally, more powerful just means less fearful. That's what I found. So picture this. It's Saturday. And there is heavy air quotes pro wrestling happening at the local farmer's market. And I want to go. Now, this is just my curiosity. This was not a good decision. However, I was the initiator of the decision. Like, hey, we should go to this wrestling match. I really want to know what this is about. I think it'd be fun. What it was, like, yes, there was wrestling. It was, it was so many MAGA men. <laughs> and then, like, six women and a couple kids. <laughs> but, like, a sold-out room with, like, a shitty arena in the middle and like it was just it was incredibly shitty and it was clearly just like somebody made this up so that we could vaguely have a storyline vaguely have a sound system and I mean very vaguely on that you couldn't hear a goddamn thing and then just pummel the shit out of each other for wrestling purposes but here's what I didn't count on or didn't think about there were MAGA men there were MAGA men fucking everywhere and when Bear wasn't with me, meaning my man protection had faded because he's, you know, enormous and tall and men stay away 
because that's, it's, you know, I'm his woman, clearly. But he goes to the bathroom, right? Typically, my experience is that men will make eye contact. They will try and talk. They will draw closer. They will try and flirt. They will try and generally, like, get my attention in some way. That's generally how it works. MAGA men literally just take me in and stare. And I don't mean stare with their mouths closed. I mean stare with their mouths open. But no attempt is made. To, they don't They don't know. That, uh, it's like it scrambles their brains a little bit. And I think what scrambles their brains, and this brings me such delight at the deepest levels, is that I'm not afraid. I know you might have a gun. I know you love Trumpy Trump. I know all sorts of beliefs that you have and things that you know. And I know. And I'm not afraid. And in the face of not being afraid of a MAGA man, there is just staring slack-jawed. They're so small. So small. Now they have guns. So I'm not saying don't be afraid. And at the same time, they are so small. And I mean that energetically. I had that same sense when I was getting ready to give the eulogy at mom's funeral mass. Ah, there it is. We circle back to the Catholic Church to finish this out. The Catholic Church. Now remember, 14 years of research, one book, The Immortality Key, and Brian tells us, ultimately, the whole time, what the church has been trying to suppress, ready, women and drugs. It's like a joke. It's a recurring theme, women and drugs. So for mom's eulogy, there are no drugs. But women... Uh, the first reader is a woman. The presentation of the gifts is a woman. The second reader is a woman. The eulogy is a woman. Can I have the notes beforehand, Kristen? No, you just have to trust me. But I really want the notes. That's okay. It's This is mom's funeral and she, I, she trusts me. The priest is so small. I don't have a better way to describe it than so small. Like, energetically, like, think about, like, just take it out of patriarchy for a second. Like, uh, think about, like, when sometimes you meet, like, dogs walking down the street, right? Some dogs, physically, they can be quite small, but they're quite large energetically. And some dogs are quite large, but quite small energetically. And some people, and some dogs are, like, they match, you know, like, medium dog, medium energy. But the mantle of priest bestows on a man this enormous power. Like this man is in charge of the spiritual lives of the people who live in this community. Many of those people are related to me and are beloved by my mother. And this man is so small. So here from like high point of heretic or whatever the fuck you want to call me 
looking at the Catholic Church from this distance of my life and from the, the, you know, the research and like the nerdiness and the pain and the brutality. The, the church produces really small men. They're, they're, they're confined and bound by a set of dogma and beliefs that keeps them contained in this way that is not beneficial. So there you go, small men. The Catholic Church. What else do I want to tell you? I want to read you a poem. I think that's how uh, we'll end it. Is I will uh, read you a poem about my shames. I'll add that after this. I'm going to close with a poem after this about that very thing, about letting the Catholic Church go, letting the Church go in general, and about how that messed with me. Where this has gone, oh man, thank you for listening. I don't even know what this is called yet. May you... Return to the places where you find life offering itself to you. May you trust your instincts. May you trust your assessments of the size of people. May you pursue your own power and pleasure. May you be able to see through the bullshit and the nonsense and the jargon May you navigate all of those things beautifully. May you come to know the truth that only your bones can tell you, that no one else can find for you. May you come to trust your deepest, softest, least conditioned self most of all. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Disarming the Church The first shame, I exist. Here I am, breathing and eating and living. Those imagined people over there have it much worse than me. The second shame, I am bad. I am taking air into my lungs and out all day long without once telling anyone I'm grateful to be here. The third shame, I have feelings. This proves inconvenient for everyone. The fourth, I have opinions. This also proves inconvenient for everyone. The fifth shame, I am not perfect. I earn the awards, the A's, the standing ovations, the scholarships, the sales. All I ever want is a blessing that never arrives. The sixth most secret shame, I want to die. The box they try to keep me in is so small that a coffin seems more convenient. Be perfect and then perhaps you will be loved. The final shame, I no longer have shame. I have returned to the woods to dance with what my bones know, and it is nothing 
like a crude power at an altar in fancy dress. I imagine the priests and pastors of my past staring flabbergasted as they realize they do not own God or love or my fear anymore. All they can do is call me a heretic or a witch, some creature deserving of death, the title varies, as I gather the sun into my soul. They have never seen a woman unafraid singing to the snowdrops in a storm. They have never seen a woman unafraid. Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The Antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly scream sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format. One gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now. And we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.